millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's Tuesday evening, so it must be Geordie Shore. It's embarrassing to admit, but it's a guilty pleasure for a few of us to watch this so-called reality TV show. What, it's basically what, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Quotes from Johnny Sexton's book, Mark. Oh, my God. You told me to try and make the audience feel at home like it's McDevitt doing oh. the show. He does these twice every show. Yeah, but... we I, I thought we'd finally nipped in the bud last week. I think there I were hardly it. any last it's week. It's the sports gene you want quotes from. <laughs> See, this is it. You is give it the Eamon Dunphy book this week? You give a man a little bit of knowledge. He reads three books a year. But he does, in fairness to him, commit all three of those books to memory so that he has a quote from any of those books to use in any social situation. So you're saying you don't want me to shoehorn any clunky quotes from sports books into the show from now on? Well, if we, if we could... You know, everyone's different, right? That's Owen McDevitt's thing. That's what he does. That's, you know, part of what makes him the broadcaster that he is. You can plough your own furrow, you know, go your own way. As uh, Fleetwood Mac would say. <laughs> yeah, it's Mark Horgan here, the least well-known and cared about of the second captains. The Mikey Graham of the second captains, uh, Murph, all could true. say. Very, very good uh, uh, analogy there. Uh, Murph and I will be guiding you through the first nice Irish 15. <laughs> first Irish 15 selected by Joe Schmidt. A couple of doc shoes as well. Yeah, always with the doc yeah. shoes. Uh, first Irish 15 uh, selected by Joe Schmidt a couple of hours ago for Saturday's match against Samoa. Shane Horgan and Trevor Hogan will be joining us in just a second. And we'll also catch up with uh, US Murph and the story of Jonathan Martin and Richie Incognito of the Miami Dolphins. And Richie Incognito, not only does he have the greatest name in world sport, but yeah. it turns out he's also a complete asshole. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he might be one of the thickest sports people out there. Uh, this story, basically, it has its uh, genesis probably going back 18 months or more. But uh, last Monday week, uh, Jonathan Martin is an offensive lineman uh, who plays basically right beside Richie Incognito, who's also an offensive lineman. Uh, Jonathan Martin walked into the Miami Dolphins uh, canteen sat down with all of his other offensive linemen, mm. at which stage all of the rest of his teammates stood up and moved to a different table. From there, Martin uh, threw his plate in the ground, walked out, and hasn't been seen at the Miami Dolphins uh, complex since. What he did 
was uh, go uh, return home to California, his uh, uh, native home, uh, went back there and lodged a workplace harassment uh, suit against uh, the Miami Dolphins and Richie Incognito in particular. And this has basically brought up uh, all of the sort of, I mean, just think of all of the cliches of an NFL locker room. And that's basically what this guy, Richie, Incogni- Richie Incognito, appears to be. Uh, he's left him threatening voicemails, uh, sent him abusive text messages, uh, uh, apparently extorted 15 grand uh, of Jonathan Martin's money for a trip to Las Vegas that Martin didn't subsequently go on. It's an, it's really it's, it's a, an extraordinary story. And it also kind of gives an insight into the whole NFL locker room uh, atmosphere, which seems to be about as mature as a senior infant's playground, uh, judging by only quite a bit more sinister when there's physical threats and uh, ra- and there's a, a, actually a racial element to this story yeah. as well. Because in one the one in the one particularly threatening voicemail that's been heard by the Miami Dolphins and by uh, uh, Martin's lawyers. Uh, he racially abuses Martin, uh, incognito racially abuses Jonathan Martin, who's uh, one of his parents is black. And um, as a result, incognito has been thrown out by the Miami Dolphins, um, uh, suspended without pay. Um, but we we kind of await to see any further developments. In but this it. is all tradition in the NFL, Murph. It's yeah. only a bit of hazing. It's a bit of crack. He has to expect it when he comes in, when he's a new player. That's ba- it's yeah. not harassment in the workplace or racism no, at all. Of course not. Yeah, the the key thing that uh, well the the detail that I left out there, which which apparently is key, but, but obviously isn't, is that he was a rookie last year. So if you're in your first year as an NFL player, they can basically do whatever the hell they like to you. Mm. Uh, the, he's actually in his second year, which apparently uh, makes this suddenly a big problem. Whereas I would have thought, you know. <laughs> this is the problem whatever the hell you do it. Yeah, we'll speak to US Murph about that a little later in the show. Very exciting news, Murph. Mm-hmm. Because, as you all know, the unveiling of Monkino will take place on Saturday. And due to popular demand, we can now confirm <gasps> a second captain's Monkino unveiling special. We're doing it, aren't we? Yeah. yeah, we are. It'll be available on Saturday. And Ken and Owen will thankfully, thankfully be back in the hot seat for that. And uh, I think we can all say a prayer of thanks, both listeners and those of us currently in front of a microphone. Just on Monkino, I'm already having my doubts about O'Neill Murph. Why? It's why? mainly because of one thing. The weird way O'Neill was holding the microphone right up against his face on ITV the other mm. night. It freaked w- a lot of people out. It did. One of our, one of the, one of our tweeters, our Twitter followers, tweeted us uh, with a possible explanation, which is that he's growing a really embarrassing Movember moustache and that he's actually trying to hide it by pushing his microphone basically up against his face, obscuring mm. all but the glasses. Is this the face. sort of man we want managing our country? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say this. Roy's microphone etiquette Absolutely, top yes, class. pop class. It really was. Really, I really liked the bad class. cop, bad bad cop reference as well by Martin O'Neill. Yeah, I like, you know, it was good. It the was nicest good. of all cops, though, is who we want to talk about next, Murphy. That's uh, Joe Schmidt. <laughs> Actually, that whole Irish rugby setup there is all nice cops. I don't think John yeah. Plumtree or Les Kiss are going to be the bad cops in uh, no, that relationship. No, I really don't think so. Who's although, although Richie Murphy, t- he's a real tough nut, that guy. <laughs> Video analysis? Uh, kicking coach. Kicking coach, yeah. worse again. I mean, you need cool heads for this. You can't have, you know, wild men like Richie Murphy going off on wood, you know, at a moment's notice. I don't think that's what, you know, international coaching is all about. Mark. Anyway, Joe Schmidt's first Irish 15 was named uh, just a couple of hours ago. Murph, do you want to read it out for us? Uh, yeah, 15, Rob Kearney, uh, Tommy Bull, Brian O'Driscoll, Gordon Darcy, Fergus McFadden, uh, Paddy Jackson's at 10, Connor Murray, and then the front row is Jack McGrath, Rory Best and Mike Ross, Mike McCarthy and Devin Toner uh, in the second row, Peter Romani, Chris Henry and Jamie Heaslip in the back row. Jamie Heaslip has been named as captain for this 
for this game on Saturday. But Paul O'Connell is uh, the the Ireland captain going forward. He's on the bench. Uh, the other players on the bench there are Sean Cronin, Keane Healy, Declan Fitzpatrick, Sean O'Brien, Owen Redden, Ian Madigan and uh, Dave Kearney. Trevor Hogan joins us. How are you doing, Trevor? Good, good. Uh, what are the standout calls for you? Last week you were singing the praises of Jack McGrath quite a lot. Is that the main main decision there? Oh, that's a big one. I'm delighted for Jack. Um, you'd have to say overall, he, it might seem like he has one eye on, on the following week though because if you combine that with, with, with keeping Sexto on the bench and Paul Connell on the bench... yeah. Maybe it's it's it, there is there is an eye on the following week, but at that same time, um, still likes to start in Sean Henry, uh, or or uh, Chris. Chris Henry, sorry, and you know Jack, they're not going to let you down in any way, and it's still it's still a really strong side um, that wouldn't wouldn't be in any way construed as disrespectful to the Samoans. So, you know, it's still a really strong team. Shane Horgan's with us as well. Shane, any surprises for you? Uh, no surprises. I think um, Joe's gone with the team. One that probably had to go with because of uh, of injuries. But also, I think it's probably quite effective a team if we look over the series uh, as a whole. Uh, you're getting Brian O'Driscoll and uh, Gordon Darcy some game time together. Um, Jackson's going to get a run out. That might be the only one that he does for the uh, the series. Um, mm-hmm. Also, we're seeing uh, O'Mahony Henry, and Henry and he slipped together in a back row, which is interesting. And I'm delighted to see Chris Henry. I have to say, I think he's been very strong over the last 18 months um, I think he's been one of the standout performers for Ulster and I think he can be a really top quality uh, player for him as well so I was delighted to see him get a bit of game time also you see um, that um, the front row is important as well with Jack McGrath getting the run we need to strengthen up in that area but also it's a big game for for, uh, for Bestie as well at, at two you know it's not the high pressure situation of going in um, against Australia and New Zealand so it's a bit of time for him to get his darts right for um, for the following two weeks if uh, if he's selected and and also you know it's a very very strong bench that he can pull uh, guys in if there's if there's issues and also give guys runs out that that need it and, and Paul O'Connell will certainly be one of those. Yeah, Shane Joe was saying today that this is the his best team or this is the first first team for him and obviously he's being respectful to the players that he's picked and being respectful to Samoa by saying that. But for the likes of of, of Chris Henry and, and particularly maybe Jack McGrath, are they in positions now where they actually are challenging to, to start against Australia or New Zealand or is it just another kind of I suppose another test or another step for Jack McGrath? Um, I think Jack is getting close. You know, he's getting close to a position where um, he can start to challenge. But in fairness, if he's going up against an absolute monster in, in Keane Healy, who has a, a skill set that probably no other problem in the world has. Now, Jack doesn't have a keen skill set, but he, had, he has another one. And he's uh, very adept in, in the scrum. He carries very well and he works ferociously hard. He's very good in D as well. So he, you're not, it's never going to be a like-for-like replacement there. It's something else. You know, Keane Healy is a bit of a one-off. You, you, you can't, you know, you couldn't challenge him on the skill set he has, but he's certainly McGraw would be a, an able replacement, and you know, and it also makes uh, Keane look over his shoulder a little bit. Mm. Um, certainly, I think Henry is challenging. I think he can. He can challenge for a position in that back row. You know, it depends where Sean O'Brien's going to play. Obviously, Sean's going to play somewhere in the back row, whether it be a six or seven. It's probably more likely that he'll play seven, and that would go against Henry. But if they're looking at it for six to carry ball, then Henry is very, very strong at, at seven and that would be a very strong back row with, uh, with Heathlip and uh, O'Brien back. So it looks like all of the either-or selections have gone to the guy maybe with less experience. But if you look, say, at the centre and at inside centre, Gordon Darcy still plays and Luke Marshall isn't selected. Is that a suggestion that maybe Schmidt doesn't really rate Luke Marshall, Shane? No, I don't think so. I think he does rate him. I just think if, you've, if you listen to the way he's spoken about him, 
Um, he has uh, he's always praised them highly I think you've got a situation there where you've got uh, Gordon Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll an opportunity for them to play together which you know for, for guys who've played so much over the, la- the last decade they haven't played a lot of game time together uh, over the last two years and you know I'm very wary of going away from that centre partnership of, of O'Driscoll and, and Darcy when you have it. Like After this year, we're never going to have the opportunity to do it again. So as long as we can squeeze every last drop out of it, I'd be excited about squeezing every... Uh, I'd be excited about selecting them every time when the pair of them were fit. But Marshall has been very, very strong. He's looking very physical this year. He's carrying the ball very well. He's, in, he's conditioned, I think... You know, the reports come back is he's conditioned better than anybody else in, in the back line. He's in a phenomenal shape, apparently. And, you know, we're, we're going to, I think we're going to see him over the course of um, of the autumn series at some stage. And, you know, Darcy will be looking to perform well because he knows uh, Marshall is right on his back. What Shane is saying is spot on, but the signals that would be, mm. if you were Luke Marshall, that would be sent out to you, it wouldn't be too encouraged, you know, to be to be to be left completely out, out of the mix. But you can't argue with keeping Darcy and O'Driscoll in there for as long as possible. You've only got another few months out of the two of them. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Joe's just someone. He's obviously he really keeps guys on their toes, and lads really, you know, he is saying there that it's his best side. So. Lads will be kept on their toes. Like Keane Healy is going to be looking over his shoulder now. He's going to. It really does get the best out of lads like him, and it'll get more out of Sean O'Brien as well now when he sees, you know, that Chris Henry's talked about as his number number one seven at the moment. So, you know, it's just Joe has a track record for doing this, and he's keeping everyone on edge. You know, O'Connell on the bench as well. All the second, the other partnership role for him now is up for grabs, more or less, for the next two games. So it's just Joe really, you know, implementing that rootless strategy from the outset here. Yeah, the captaincy issue over the kidney era was dealt with awkwardly or controversially at least a few times. Um, how do you think he's dealt with it this time around? I know you guys had mentioned that O'Connell was would be preferred preferred candidate for you and he brings obviously brings a lot to it. But it's also... I got the impression today, and we actually hear Joe Schmidt explain this decision in a second, but you really got the impression that he's handled it expertly. It's like Heaslip still has a lot of responsibility. He's going to be captaining the team against Samoa. He's the vice captain now. It's going to be shared duties with Paul O'Connell uh, with his situation. So he seems to have dealt with it pretty well. Yeah, he, se- he seems to have handled it perfectly. I mean, I think the signals were sent out to the players maybe earlier on in the week. They knew who was going to be. It might have seemed like to the rest of us that it was... It was he was holding off, delaying it a long time, but I think it's good clarity there around around who is the main guy, who's the main leader, and that's O'Connell. But there's also another huge group of, of leaders below that that are ready to to provide the leadership on the field. And if O'Connell isn't there, the likes of Heaslip, the likes of Driscoll, the likes of the other voices, Rory Best are able to are able to take control of it. But it's it's really clear from Joe now who the main man is. Yeah, we'll just hear Joe explain his situation or, or his selection a little bit earlier today. The captain C. It was uh, it was a tough decision. We've got a, a very good group who uh, who are really steering the ship, so to speak. And to have two guys at at, uh, at the helm um, just allows us to, to cover our bases. Obviously, with Paul, um, he, he's had an intermittent uh, kind of two years now where he has had uh, a number of injuries. Whereas Jamie's incredibly durable, and uh, so he's going to line up for every training and game, and it just allows us to cover both bases. Jamie just said he, he was delighted, and uh, you know, we, we we chatted. To be honest, we chatted more about what's ha- what's happening this this weekend more than what's uh, what's happening going forward because I, I think we're both reasonably short short term 
short-term focus. Shane, yeah, we actually heard as well, Jamie Heaslip was speaking at the press conference and he reiterated the fact that he actually wasn't disappointed by the decision. And that kind of struck us. It's, it almost seems like maybe the captaincy is something that he wasn't entirely comfortable having and maybe it affected his game a little bit last year, certainly. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I can imagine that be the case. I, I think more so he recognises the pecking order probably, you know, and um, I, I think if um, if Paul was was you know fit at the time, I think he would have been the captain, and it was sort of a, a transitional period. And you know, Jamie's probably looking down the road as well. Paul is not going to play forever. Um, Jamie is you know has has done it, and he may be in the position uh, to do it again. So you know, he's not going to rock the boat. And I think it's comfortable for everyone concerned. There's no. Um, you know, Jamie hasn't been embarrassed by not getting the captaincy. You know, it's not as if it was stripped from him. Um, it, was, it seems a very natural uh, thing to, to revert back to Paul O'Connell. So he doesn't look bad out of it. And in fact, uh, um, him being him being made captain this week is was a really smart move by by Joe Schmidt. And you know, I think you know with that decision, and you know, we mentioned the decisions around you know Darcy and, and Henry. You can see that. Smith isn't going to be a man for consensus. You know, he doesn't have any shackles or he doesn't have to worry about anyone else. And he is a ruthless man when it comes to deciding. So he's not about consensus. He doesn't care what the media has to say about things. He doesn't care what um, the feeling in the, in the in the country is. He'll do exactly what's best for uh, the Irish team. And I, I think, you know, you can see that going forward. Maybe that'll change a little bit over time. But right now, he, he'll pick exactly who he wants. And if that's Darcy this week and Marshall next or Darcy for the next three weeks then that's exactly what he'll do One of the other contentious decisions or mildly contentious at least was Paddy Jackson reversing the the, uh, order of selection from the summer tour Uh, now looks like he's ahead of Ian Madigan Uh, what do you make of that Trevor? Well I think in fairness to Paddy Jackson he's been playing really really consistently well for for all sort of season and you can't really argue with the fact that Goppert's been been playing ahead of, of, of Mads so you know and the other thing with that is Paddy's um, his kicking has become much more consistent too, and he seems to have a real level head. But he's also he's also really threatening in the in when he gets his hands on the ball as well. He's standing a lot flatter, and he he uh, his his passing accuracy is maybe not as electrifying as 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 Ian Madigan's, but he still he's he's plays very flat, and he does offer a lot of threat there. And he's grown into that role all the time. So there, I don't think there'd be too many arguments with 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 um, with him starting ahead of Ian. Madigan this weekend. Yeah, Shane, you've been pretty critical of of uh, Paddy Jackson over the last while, over the last few months. What do you think? Yeah, I didn't think that uh, he was up to playing international rugby uh, last year. Um, I think that he has come on leaps and bounds. I thought Madigan was in the box seat. I can entirely understand um, uh, Smith's decision. I think it's the correct one. I think Jackson has improved out of sight in the last six months. I know that, I'm sorry, in the last, even since the start of the season, I know they've been working extremely hard on, on him in Ulster. He's been getting a lot of individual attention and a focus on his game. And you can see, as Trev said there, he is playing a lot flatter. He throws the ball a lot flatter, but he attacks the line a lot flatter. And those two things are crucial if you want to play the way that Joe Schmidt wants you to play. And if, if Jackson wasn't capable of doing that, he wouldn't be in the team. He wouldn't be there this week because it wouldn't be just a case of, oh, you know, he's 
playing and Madigan isn't playing, so mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, Jackson. He has to be able to deliver what Joe wants, and he's obviously delivering it in training. Yeah. And I think this could be a really huge turning point in Jackson's career because he's playing in the back line with O'Driscoll and Darcy and Bo, and those guys are going and McFadden indeed, who are going to demand that he gets flat and demand he delivers the ball the correct way. And when I've seen Jackson this year, when he's played well, is when he's been forced onto the ball by both by the pass from the nine, but also be, by a very demanding um, ten, uh, twelve or thirteen. And when he's come under pressure and re- reverted into a you know deeper pocket position, he's looked really, really ordinary. So if you can get him to stay in that position and keep attacking the line, no matter how much pressure comes on, and my goodness, he'll be under pressure this week against a very um, fast uh, Samoa defence. I think it could be a really turning, big turning point for it in his career and one that you know, he won't move back from. Once he learns to play under that pressure and he feels comfortable with it, then he becomes a different 10. Just when you're talking about that fast Samoa defence change, well, what another skill Jackson has shown brilliantly this year, and you'll know all about, it, is that cross field kick. He did it perfectly for Tommy Bow there in Ravenhill. His his game management and his recognition of when where the space is has really improved this year, and his accuracy in those cross field kicks and his little things through um, has been brilliant. And that's another thing that Joe will probably be looking to take advantage of as well against the Samoans this weekend. Yeah, and Schmidt did reference today as well that Jackson's been performing really well in training, uh, like Shane mentioned there so that's obviously had a, an influence on his uh, decision but with regard to Sexton um, he's hip flexor tightness he's not a doubt at all for Australia but they were concerned that he could actually uh, make the injury worse if they were to play him this weekend but he was talking about Schmidt was talking about Sexton's current situation we can hear that now as well Johnny didn't train today or, or Tuesday um, he, he he could have trained today but we've uh, we've tried to make sure that there's no aggravation at all so he will come in fresh on Sunday and part of that also is we're trying to uh, limit the amount of time he has on his feet so that he gets a, a bit of recovery time. Um, you know, it is one of those unfortunate things that we've lost control of the player um, and so we don't control his game management um, or his minutes. Uh, and, and, you know, for where he is and what he's done already this season, for him to get a little bit of a break is probably a, a positive thing particularly looking a lot further ahead you know, through this series and, and through even into the Six Nations. That game accumulation w- w- will uh, start to take its toll. Yeah, Shane, last weekend he spoke about uh, Johnny Sexton being flat. He talks about losing control of the player today. He's obviously not happy or he obviously wants to get a message across. Yeah, he is, but I don't think the message is going out to Johnny Sexton. Um, he's number one on Joe Smith's um, team sheet and you know, I think the rest is probably a good thing for, for, for Johnny today and it's, uh, for Johnny this weekend. It's not necessary for him to play. Um, you know, there's, there's two big games coming up and as he alluded to there, a Six Nations where Johnny will have a lot of games under his belt I think the message is going out to, to probably two sets of, of people. One, other players are thinking about going to um, going to France, and that you know, Joe's really pointing out there. It's it's difficult for me to pick Sexton, but just because Sexton is so good and so integral to the team, you know, Sexton will continue to be picked. If it was a closer call, maybe you won't get picked. I think that's one of the messages that are going out. And the other one, I think, and it's a strong message that is going out to his employers. There are a few saying we have now lost control of this guy. I can't get the best out of him. He can't be guaranteed to play every game for us. And if he is going to be play, playing every game, he's, he may not be the player that he was before. So we need to get our house in order. 
um, when we identify a player that we want to keep, and Johnny was one of the players that uh, Smith did identify with, there are a few that it was necessary to keep, and there are a few that didn't, uh, couldn't keep him. You know, this is the result of that failed negotiation. So, you know, Joe does choose his words very carefully, and you know, I think there's a subtle, a couple of subtleties and under currents going there. Yeah, it's just an insight into Joe's, uh, the the strength of his words, the way he puts phrases where he says, we've lost control of the player. Mm. You know, there's a bit of anger there in that. You can see how, you know, Joe gets a message across. When Joe says something to you in the training, it it goes right through you, you know, it it pierces you. So there is a subtlety there, definitely, in terms of lads that might be considering options of going away and what it, the impact it can it can have on you um, even the fact that he had to travel over and stay on the bench that definitely would have to, like to travel alone but then even as a sub in the warm up you're holding bags you're getting hit he obviously had the knock at that stage mm. it just compounded it it was just needless you know that he had to do that but that's 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 what he's talking about you're losing control of lads and they have to go over and, and do that kind of thing um, so the only thing is, it's something like that. It is a niggle, but the fatigue, the flatness element. You know, a weekend off now will definitely help that, and he'd be back as fresh as and as cranky as ever. I'd say next week. What about the game plan for this week then? I mean, John Plumtree, the forwards coach, was uh, in front of the media on Tuesday, I think, saying that for now they were just focused on getting the basics sorted. So, you know, what changes can we expect to see on the field? Uh, on Saturday and kind of through the November internationals. Yeah. This is the fascinating element of it, and listen to Plumtree as well. He's putting a big emphasis on the mall, so there could be that could be one area to look at. But I think the biggest area would be just set piece play Ireland play off off the phases, off the line out, off scrum. What kind of what kind of areas Joe will be looking to attack? Will he look to be going the same way? Will he look to come back to short side of a, of a couple of phases? It generally the structure will be fairly rigid for Joe. It'll be interesting to see what kind of shape, what patterns he's going to be playing with. Um, I'm sure the, temp- the tempo will be really high, um, always is, and there'll be a big emphasis on, on Conor Murray directing it and, and Paddy Jackson. Um, breakdown will be massive under Joe as well. It's just about getting ruthless, uh, clear break, uh, ball presentation at the breakdown. Um, you know, and the defensive strategy as well would be interesting against Samoa because they'll really need to confront them there to step up and start smashing them early on, whether it's low or whether it's going high to tag the ball. So all those elements are going to be fascinating to see um, how they're how they're implemented against this massive opposition. Yeah, and then clarity of game plan was a, a yeah. thing that maybe was lacking under, particularly in the last few months of Kidney's reign. Is that one thing that the Schmidt will definitely bring to the table? Hugely, because that's one thing he's massive on is on the detail and players knowing their roles, which way they're, who's going to what rook, who's going around the corner, who's holding short side, you know, who, what what areas of the field they're looking to to go, which which ways. That'll all be kind of had been drilled into them fairly rigidly over the last week or two. Um, so there'll be no there'll be no confusion after this weekend as to what kind of strategy Ireland are playing. Um, I think, in fairness to Kidney, they did, Ireland did play. In, in that, especially that first half against Wales in the in the in the Six Nations, they played a really exciting high tempo brand of rugby that won't be dis, uh, dissimilar to to what maybe Schmidt will be looking to do this weekend. Um, so it's about just achieving that consistency, though, and I think that's what Joe Joe's ruthlessness will will be setting out to do. Shane, will fans be able to identify some clear changes on the pitch? Uh, maybe not uh, this very first weekend. I think over the course of 
the following two weekends and certainly into the Six Nations, um, you'll see Joe put a stamp on the game. There'll be elements of the Deccan Kidney plan, as as uh, Trevor alluded to there, that will be, you know, when, when Deccan got it right with that team, you know, there was nobody better. So, you know, we, if, you, if you look at the best times that Ireland had in their kidney, you know, um, uh, Smith will want to, to, to um, re-establish that sort of play. But I think what you'll look for is uh, a coach that can deconstruct an opposition um, better. They can in- deconstruct his, their gameplay and deconstruct their defence. And as a result, he'll be, be very analytical about what he tries to get his players to do. Um, I think Samoa is a perfect example of this. Is there a team that can be, you can identify how they're going to defend, uh, what mistakes they'll make and how you can score a try and, uh, against them. And I was listening to um, the interview with, with Shane Jennings during mm-hmm. the week where he said um, that Joe had given them a couple of moves before the final and those, he had implemented those moves and there had been tries. Something similar is going to happen um, this week against Samoa, I think. Okay, lads, stick with us because I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by uh, current Connacht coach and former Samoa international Pat Lamb. How are you doing, Pat? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very looking forward to the game on the weekend. Yeah, I think a lot of Irish fans, and we've discussed it with uh, Trevor Hogan and Shane Horgan here, uh, we've discussed how the Irish fans are expecting a win here. It's, it's, uh, I'm sure they're not familiar with a lot of the Samoan players, but rather than it being a huge scalp for Samoa, we're thinking that they'd see it as a, as a winnable fixture. Yeah, I think so. I, I, like, I, I think um, you know, for for Samoa in particular, it's uh, you know, I think they've proven over the over the years now and and, and earned their place in that ranking. And you know, there's, a, there's enough players now that are out there playing in the top leagues, whether it's uh, Rabo top 14 Premiership or Super Rugby. Um, so they're very they're very used to playing at this level, and obviously a lot of them come through from the World Cup. So, Karen Fortuli is probably the, the main one. He he uh, was unavailable in the middle of the year. Um, he's world class there, the scrum half, and uh, obviously he spent a bit of time at Ospreys, and then um, he was with the Crusaders before that, and then at um, uh, he's currently at the Northampton Saints. So he was he was one that the All Black selectors were pushing hard for, but he chose to play for Samoa and um, has been a massive influence certainly during the World Cup and and last year. So he 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 he's certainly the driving force. Um, then Alapati Leua, who's uh, from the Hurricanes, and he joined the team. Down in South Africa, he is a, uh, a dangerous outside back. Uh, obviously, a lot of pace, and uh, but he's got some real X factor. And um, and then up front, I think the biggest thing about Samoa is the fact that the um, you know certainly when we played, it was very difficult. Um, you know, getting quality scrummaging uh, props or uh, compared to what they have now. When Census Johnson at Toulouse, James Johnson at Harlequins. Uh, Zach Talaf was out at, uh, he was at Wasp, now Bordeaux, and uh, Molly Polo at Leicester. So all of them are playing top rugby up in the Northern Hemisphere. So they've got a huge pack, which if they can get, uh, you know, they get domination up front and um, against a good Irish pack, then uh, certainly Khan uh, Futsal uh, Lee and Tusi Piki are able to do their thing. So uh, it'll be a lot tougher than a lot of people think. And this would be the game that the Samoans are, are targeting in a big way because their tour also includes games against against uh, Georgia and uh, the French Barbarians. So this is the big game for them. Yeah, it is. I, was, um, I spoke to I was, I was when I visited them on Monday and they were certainly disappointed that this is the only tier one yeah. test match they have, um, particularly where they're ranked now. And but um, So this is the one that uh, will make a difference to the, to the rankings, obviously, and this is the one that's... Uh, is uh, is definitely the one they're targeting, and uh, it would have been ideal for them to do it the other way around. But um, you know, they it's the same for both teams. I believe your parents are coming over as well, are they? I was yeah, reading that yeah. in the Irish Times earlier this week. 
Yeah, they uh, they arrived last week, and I'm actually in the golf shop in Galway now because they're, they're retired golfers. They just come from Las Vegas in a tournament over there, and uh, they've had a couple of rounds at the local clubs, and I've just booked them in the Galway Golf Club tomorrow, so my mum needed some more golf shoes, so I'm actually in the golf shop now. Uh, we'll get a round in tomorrow, and then we'll uh, the whole family will make our way over to Dublin on Saturday and um, you know enjoy the match. So it's a real bonus for them. Obviously, they'll come in to see us up here. Never been to Ireland before, um, or particularly Galway. And um, they're, they're loving it, seeing the grandkids. And uh, But it was a real bonus to be able to go. And the Irish Rugby Union have um, uh, hosting myself and my parents in the, in the president's box. So it's a real bonus for them. They're loving it, golf and rugby. Are you going to see a win for Samoa on Saturday? Um, I think it's going to be a great game. I think, you know, certainly um, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's it's obviously the team that, um, uh, you know, it's my team and uh, it's difficult because uh, I know a lot of the Irish boys, but uh, I think it's going to be a close game. It'll be, it'll be a genuine test match. It'll be a lot closer than some people think it will be. Pat, I hope you and the folks enjoy it. Thanks for talking to us. Cheers. Pleasure. Thank you. Pat Lamb sounding pretty confident there, lads. Um, Shane and Trevor are still with us. And before we get your predictions, um, just on the November internationals in general, Shane, how much did you enjoy playing them? It, obviously, they, they mightn't be as glamorous at times as the Six Nations games, or they mightn't count for as much in, in the eyes of the supporters. But how much did you enjoy playing in them, and how much did they, they mean to you? I loved them. I absolutely loved them. I thought they were brilliant. Uh, the atmosphere on occasion was was better than, than a Six Nations game. Um, it was really, really good fun to play. The, you know, the, the lights would be on, the crowd would be have a few jars on them, there'd be a bit more noise, there'd be a later start. Um, you know, at night, I just thought it was... I really, really enjoyed them so much. And you also had an opportunity to beat the best teams in the world on a much you know, sounder footing. It was very, very hard to go away to any of the Southern Hemisphere teams and beat them. Uh, but there, it isn't. It's very achievable. And Irish teams over the last decade have shown it's achievable to beat Southern Hemisphere teams, failing the, the All Blacks. And for me, like that's the holy grail. And that's what's so exciting about um, this time around. There's a, a few guys now that are, are, aren't going to play against the All Blacks uh, again. Certainly Brian will never do it. Mm. You know, he'll want to, he'll want to, to win against his team. And, and it is the one glaring omission from um, his career, but also from, you know, Ireland, Irish rugby's um, um, list of achievements. It's, you know, I always found it a bit embarrassing that we'd never beaten them. Now, we came close a few times, but it never quite happened. And, uh, you know, I think the best and only opportunity, really, that Ireland has to beat a team like the All Blacks is in autumn. What counts as a good uh, November series, Trevor? I think everyone's kind of more or less agreed that two out of three would be what, what would be good. You know, okay. the three out of three, like what Shane's talking about there, would be unbelievable. You know, to be, it'd be up there with for it'd be the equivalent for Irish rugby of Italian ninety if we can beat the All Blacks. You know, well, I'm not sure we have the the widespread popular support <laughs> that we'd be out in the streets going naked or any naked down O'Connell Street, but uh, it would be huge. I I just think it might be a stretch at the moment that we'd be looking at two out of three. Shane, will the Irish public be going naked down O'Connell Street by the time this November series is over? <laughs> I think that's Trev just said he would go to the <laughs> Street if Ireland won all three games. And you know, Trev, fair play to you. I'll be there to okay. uh, to lead you off. Um, obviously, fully clothed. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I think uh, I think three out of three is a real stretch. As as Trev said, that would be you know dreamland. I think two out of three two out of three is what we'd expect and what we'd want. And 
unfortunately, if it's only one out of three, then it's a bit disappointing. So it's two out of three or bust, really. Everyone's expecting us to win this game against Samoa, and it's a really, really tough start for Joe Schmidt in a lot of ways. Shane uh, Jennings was saying on Tuesday that the players will be under no illusions that they know how difficult a test it is, but um, you expect them to come through? Well, I, I do, but I totally agree with Shane Jennings. I think I heard Owen Redden say about Yeah, the, the, he was yeah. very clear on it, yeah. that, that you guys don't understand just how good exactly. Samoa are, but we do. A big time and you look at this you go through their their front row Jack Lamb in the back row they have their, their, their scrum half is brilliant they're ahead of Ireland that's just that's the you know the facts of it in, in the IRB ranking but they, they are not going to be and it's not going to it's not going to be a guaranteed win at all and you just have to listen to the, the lads the way they're talking they won't be under any illusions and I think um, slowly maybe the public public will start to realise it's not going to be an easy game at all a tight win for you Shane yeah, I think I, I think uh, they'll be good enough to actually have a reasonably comfortable win. And I agree with Trev. This is the, the Samoa team are no mugs. They are ahead of us in the world ranking. They've taken some big scalps. Um, but I think just uh, with, with Joe Schmidt coming on board, a lot of players want to impress him. Also, you know, it's a good side that's out there as well. I think that they'll have enough for them. And you know, Unfortunately, although people who know rugby and people who follow rugby will know that the Samoa test will be a big one and it'll be difficult to achieve, the wider uh, Irish public will not accept, or you know, they don't accept, but they they won't understand that Samoa are such a strong side, and it's hard to explain that. Uh, but uh, and as a result, you know, people will want to win, and they'll be expecting one. All right, lads, brilliant stuff. Looking forward to it. Thanks a million for talking to us. No bother. Sound. Thanks, lads. Okay, so Ireland against Samoa was on at uh, 5.45 on Saturday. A lot of good games, actually, on this weekend. Italy play Australia at 2 o'clock. England-Argentina at 2.30 but, and Scotland-Japan at 2.30 as well. But then it's Wales against South Africa at 5.30 and then France-New Zealand at 8 o'clock. Um, mm. What's interesting about Wales and their form in the November internationals, you know, Gatlin thinks he's a great lad. Yeah, Lions series, Grand Slams, lots of championships, all that sort of crack. Thinks but he's the great lad. <laughs> That's pretty mean. That's an Mark. exact quote, Murph. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. But he's actually won only one game against the big three. That was Australia five years ago. Yeah, and, and they lost to Samoa as Pat Lamb. Pat Lamb was technical advisor for that game, as Pat Lamb told us a few minutes ago. So the record in November's uh, is a really bad one. Yeah, and I, I don't recall. You know, I, I, I when I went to thinking about this I couldn't recall any big victories by Wales over the big three but that's a really terrible record really mm. when you think about it um, and you, when you think about how good Wales have been um, that they have had such a poor poor record against Southern Hemisphere, hemisphere teams it kind of every November you, you read the stats at the end which said oh uh, they make depressing reading for Northern Hemisphere teams um, only one victory only two victories against the big three or whatever it's basically Wales that have been letting us down in all of this because we've held our end up Pretty well over the years. Uh, England have as well. What? When what? was the last time? When was the last time we beat a Southern Hemisphere team? Or? Well, over the last 10 or 12 oh, years. Oh, yeah, 10, 12 years. Okay, right, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're Good talking save. about here, isn't it? Yeah, go on. Uh, well, no, I feel you've disrespected me there, uh, Mark. Uh, oh, McDevitt wouldn't do it to me. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, Listen, that's, what we're ta- that's what I'm talking about here. Forget you know? about your spoofing about rugby. I demand what's, some respect. What's, what's actually much more interesting here and something that's going to cause a much bigger stir is uh, I can't believe Trevor Hogan's going to strip off if we win all three games that and is, run up O'Connell Street. That is quite something. I mean, like, it's, a, it's a brave, brave call yeah, by you know, Trevor to do that. I mention it until he's out of the studio, but, but I mean, that's going to get us a lot of publicity, Murph. We know the type of shape Trevor's in. I know, yeah. If we could just kind of paint the second, second captain's logo on some area of this body, we'll, I, mean, I don't we'll know. We'll brand them up and any potential sponsors out there if they want yeah. to get involved. There's a free space across the buttocks oh, of uh, Trevor Hogan. There. <laughs> Obviously, that's the, the will be the, the most sought-after yeah, uh, part of uh, we're going to have a little second captain's kind of <laughs> t- just covering his dignity, yeah. but everything else 
a sort of an apron, a second captain's apron to cover his dignity. All other areas of Trevor Hogan's body up for grabs. Okay, now it's time for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown for the ball! Brian Murphy, how are you doing this week? I am awesome, boys. It was always good to hear the uh, the open, too. Sometimes I sit back and really enjoy it. But uh, good to talk to Mark and Murph. And I know Owen's off cavorting somewhere. But, uh, yeah, here we are in, in America in no, early November. Baseball's done. NFL picking up midway point. And uh, college football, of course, rolling on towards their big uh, championship games later this month, early December. So good time. Plus Thanksgiving. We can smell Thanksgiving three weeks from uh, three weeks from today. So uh, it should be good. Right. Let's forget about all that, though. Let's talk about the big worldwide story, the big worldwide story in sport. That is, of course, the new Irish Dream Team, Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, the new head honchos in Irish soccer. You'll have a lot to say about that. What's your reaction to the news? Uh, is Richie Incognito of the Miami Dolphins going to be on the team? That's my question. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> unfortunately... The huge dream team of Martin and Kino has not cracked the uh, the Richie Incognito bullying hazing story here in America. Although I am delighted for you boys, I'm very excited. You guys, uh, you guys have a new lease on life, huh? Yeah, absolutely. But talk to us about that story, Brian. First of all, um, the offensive linesman for the Do- uh, Miami Dolphins, Jonathan Martin, he left the squad this week alleging workplace harassment, and that's down to uh, your boy Richie Incognito. Yeah, this is uh, guys. It, it, we've tried to figure out why, just why this story has gotten so much traction. It, it there, you know, there's a degree of interest to it, but it, it's a pretty amazing at how all-encompassing its tentacles have been in the American news media, uh, beyond sports, into the mainstream media. And I think, you know, I mean, I imagine many Irish are familiar with the details by now, but if not, just the, the quick. The quick notes on it are that um, a veteran offensive lineman for the uh, Miami Dolphins named Richie Incognito, who has a checkered past, guys, was kicked out of two colleges when he was a um, a college player. Nebraska and Oregon both dismissed him for uh, violating team rules and was once voted the NFL's dirtiest player. So this guy does bring a reputation of being kind of a a nasty guy who um, isn't necessarily Mr. Nice Guy was tormenting one of his teammates, uh, a Stanford product named Jonathan Martin, so badly that Jonathan Martin left the team, just left the team. And we now have found out that not only was he making him pay large amounts of money for veterans to go on trips to Las Vegas, but also, uh, more personally, leaving him threatening voicemails, uh, including racial slurs and threats against uh, him personally, including a flat-out, I'm going to kill you, and uh, all sorts of profanity and uh, and uh, awful language, and I think guys, it's just kind of it's touched on. Bullying has become a huge topic. I don't know if it is in Europe as much as it is in America, but it is a huge topic in America in the last several years in the school place. Uh, that the the new the the influx of social media has sort of multiplied the ways in which kids are bullying other kids, and it's often with tragic results. And I think many people see this as a case of the ultimate bullying. Uh, on, a, on a, an NFL locker room bullying. Uh, and, and the questions have been raised, 
how far should hazing go from a veteran to a rookie? Um, how, how much culpability should Richie Incognito have for harassing Jonathan Martin uh, uh, for, for no real reason? And also, kind of the, the third wheel on this whole thing is, should Jonathan Martin himself have handled it differently? Should he have acted back in a violent manner towards Richie Cognito and quote-unquote be a man about it has been brought up by some people, and that maybe Jonathan Martin bears some of the blame for not um, taking on the problem himself. And then, of course, guys, then the fourth prong out of that would be, are we in a culture now where we're blaming victims instead of perpetrators? So, man, tentacle after tentacle in this story, and it continues on here in the country. Um, What struck me as being weird was that it it was kind of it was dressed up a little bit as well you know this happens to rookies and that's fine but the moment Jonathan Martin started his second year as a player and when the bullying or the hazing or whatever you want to call it the workplace harassment is what you should call it uh, when that continued into his second year suddenly you know the unwritten rule had been broken when it strikes me is the second you start work in a place and you start getting paid to do a job then immediately, obviously, this uh, schoolyard bullying that is going on, that immediately has to stop because you're a, a co-worker with, with these people. Yeah, no, you're bringing all sorts of uh, rational and logical explanations to this, and unfortunately, it seems like NFL locker rooms are not rational and logical places. They kind of operate in this sort of brainstem caveman world where it's dog-eat-dog, dog, and the kind of the workplace rules that apply to you and me don't apply to them. There's this belief that veteran players want to break younger players to make them tougher. Now, I think what, what we're sort of learning by talking to many, many different NFL players, both current and retired, is that hazing and bullying, uh, or hazing would be a better word, has gone on uh, since the beginning of time in sports. Um, you know, whether, but traditionally what you've learned in NFL is it, it means carrying the pads and the helmets of the veterans it means providing pizza and chicken and, and snacks on flights to away games. It means having to do something as silly and childish and innocent as singing your college fight song in front of the whole team uh, uh, at any moment uh, in the team cafeteria during training camp. So these are all, as you can see, sort of almost boyish in a way. You know, hey, carry my pads. Hey, bring me a, a dozen donuts for our flight. Hey, sing your college fight song. All those things have been part of the NFL forever, and we've all known them as fans. What many of us haven't known is that it seems like as the, as, the, as the years have gone on, it seems like these new generations are trying to top that and say, well, what else can we do to these rookies? And now we've heard about rookies being taped up and put um, taped up to a, a goalpost and had ice and pepper put in their jocks and underwear and become starting to get physically weird. But now, and then it started to get very financial, there was a story that Des Bryant of the, of the Dallas Cowboys had to pay a $54,000 dinner tab when he was a rookie, which is an incredible amount of money for one meal. So now it's almost like they're trying to, trying to top the past hazing rituals, and then you throw in the fact that this guy, Richie Incognito, seems to be a five-star knucklehead, yeah. an absolute meathead who has a checkered history, and you throw in the fact that Jonathan Martin, the kid out of Stanford, tends to be a particularly quiet and studious and sensitive guy who comes from a very academic family and environment and doesn't really traffic in this kind of violence, and it's sort of a recipe for disaster of the ultimate nightmare of a, of a, of a meathead like Incognito trying to torment this guy as much as possible, and a sensitive guy like Jonathan Martin not able to capable to process it or handle it. And what you have now is the ultimate example of a guy who comes off 
damn near uh, legally, illegally harassing him uh, and threatening him. And you wonder about even, I don't know if there's any uh, legal ramifications that might come out of this. But yeah, you're right. It, this stuff shouldn't happen under any circumstance. One of our uh, former 49er told us, he said one of the things that we always try to do as veterans is, is to make sure these rookies are prepared to play in the league. And some of the, the um, uh, humiliating things they put them through tries to prepare them for the toughness of the veterans. He said, but what Incognito was doing to Martin in no way was making Martin a better player and in no way was preparing him for the league. So Incognito comes off just looking awfully in this whole deal. Yeah, you're touching up, Brian, about the reaction to uh, Jonathan Martin. And I found some of the comments pretty interesting. Um, there's one from the NFL offensive linesman, former NFL offensive linesman, Ross Tucker. And he says, I'm not surprised. In fact, I'm a little surprised something like this hasn't happened before. If you're mentally weak, you're going to get picked on. And it's, it's almost like they're, they're not freeing Jonathan Martin of blame here, saying that he's suggesting he's mentally weak, suggesting that there's actually something, it's his fault in some way. Oh, no question. That is funny, guys. The, the, so the story has kind of gone through two phases, the first phase being the discovery phase and most people's, like yours and mine, reaction to incognito as this meathead and this knucklehead. And now sort of the longer the story has stayed in the news cycle and more people are commenting on it from the NFL culture, you're hearing this. Uh, it's almost a blame-the-victim mentality. Uh, you know, you should have. There's another guy, Antrell Roll. We just played his uh, sound on our show this morning. Antrell Roll is a New York Giant who said, listen, don't get me wrong, Incognito was wrong. Mm. He said, but Jonathan Martin has to be a man about this. And you gotta, you can't, if you're not a man and you don't stand up for yourself, then you're almost as much to blame as Incognito. And that's where we kind of leave the real world and enter the world of the NFL, which is this, it's a violent caveman sport, and it's fostered sort of primitive um, ideals and primitive uh, thoughts. It's funny, because I think back to the 49ers in their heyday here in San Francisco, I had a coach named Bill Walsh, the legend, who's uh, long gone now, but he was a very cerebral coach, and one of the things he thought when he looked at the NFL was he said, why, why, should I, um, why should I put my players through violence every week in the practice field and have them hit over and over again when that seems to be an outdated mentality of trying to prove their physical toughness during the week? I'm going to stop hitting during the week. No more practices during the week where we collide with each other. We're just going to do that on Sundays. And he was viewed around the league as soft and weak and a finesse guy, not a tough guy. And guess what? The 49ers won five Super Bowls, three under Walsh, two under his successor because of uh, systems like that. So there is room for more than one way of thought in the NFL. You don't have to try to tell your teammates you're going to kill them. You don't have to uh, use racial slurs and, uh, and derogatory slurs to your teammates to toughen them up. You can be a civilized being and succeed in the NFL. It just seems that, unfortunately, there are still those guys out there that believe that if you're not a caveman taking a stick and beating each other over the head until the last guy standing is the toughest guy, that seems to be the incognito way. And still, in this day, 2013, that theory still holds water with some people. Yeah, I, and I think the whole point of this story isn't that Rich, what Richie Incognito did to Jonathan Martin necessarily, but the fact that it seems to be so... What it tells us about the culture in the in an NFL locker room, and it strikes to what 
what that means in a much broader sense as well. I mean, like we would have talked in the past about, oh, you know, when's the first, um, you know, the first gay NFL player? When is he going to come out? Is it, is it, you know, would the sport be comfortable with that? Would an NFL locker room be a safe place to, to come out or a welcoming place to come out in? And what you're telling us here and what we've read over the last couple of days about this story and the reaction of loads of current and former players would suggest that it's not very tolerant of difference, different lifestyles. Uh, no, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be one of the most intolerant places in America appears to be an NFL locker room. Yeah, sad to say. I mean, you're correct. It's sad to say, Kieran. It, it just uh, it seems to be uh, kind of a depressing reminder that um, this sport that we love so much. It's, God, we were talking about it. what an eventful thing. The NFL is having so many eventfully weird off-field things happen to them. The concussion, the head trauma we've talked about on the show before, and the discovery by the book, the League of Denial documentary, and all this discovery by doctors of the head trauma that's going on, and the players suing about the head trauma that they're, that they're going to experience later in life. That became a huge drama. Aaron Hernandez of the New England Patriots being this absolute sociopathic killer who the more details we learn about that, the more chilled we get. And he was Tom Brady's, you know, one of Tom Brady's main targets of the New England Patriots. And now this, uh, Richie Incognito, Jonathan Martin's story, is just another example of it's almost as if as, as, as we're getting on in years, the, the NFL is becoming a more violent and weird and uh, uh, sort of impossible to relate to place. And it's sort of colliding with what we've talked about over the last couple of years is it's all-time popularity. It's never been more popular when it comes to TV ratings, through the roof, uh, intergalactically high ratings and popularity with fantasy football and the like. And yet now, as, as we sort of have more means of communication and more means of information, we're finding out more and more things about just how bizarre and prehistoric and violent it is for those of us who lead normal lives. Those who play it, like a Richie Incognito, just think it's a man's league, and you're a wuss if you, if you think otherwise. So, and the funny thing is, come Sunday, we'll all turn our TVs on, yeah. and we'll all watch. Brian, maybe even more sinister are the rumours that have come out about uh, Incognito and Martin, and suggesting that Incognito was actually just following out coach's orders to toughen up Martin or something like that. What's, what's, what's the view on that? Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that is the latest and greatest story to break this week, and, and that, that adds a whole other layer to it. Now the NFL would be uh, on the hook to really investigate this stuff because, mm. gosh, guys, when I was going through my list of things that have happened in the NFL, I mentioned head trauma, I mentioned Aaron Hernandez, I mentioned incognito, but let's not forget the bounty story last year with the Saints, right? Remember that whole story yeah, yeah, about yeah. the Saints putting out a bounty and this you'd see a connection, wouldn't you, between that story and this story that the Dolphins coaching staff had sort of thought that Martin wasn't tough enough and sort of deputized Incognito to toughen him up. Boy, then we're going to get into the NFL's investigation, and then we're going to get into what they find and what they're willing to make public and what they're willing to discipline, because, boy, that Saints thing a year ago shocked us so much, but Really, if you think about it in terms of that, this incognito story is right in keeping with that, if not even tamer than the Saints story, right? Where, remember, he was talking about taking out heads and taking mm-hmm. out knees and things like that. So, I mean, I guess in many ways we shouldn't be surprised. And the NFL now will have to conduct a very thorough investigation. And now maybe the coaching staff and the head coach of the Dolphins, Joe Philbin, will get uh, come under scrutiny the same way Sean Payton of the Saints came under scrutiny and got suspended. Maybe we'll see suspensions. Just to kind of put things in pop cultural terms, when that story came out uh, this week about the uh, coaches perhaps 
is spurring Incognito on. Uh, many people remember the movie A Few Good Men. I Jack saw this Nich- actually yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jack Nicholson uh, orders the code red, right? I mean, here we are. That's a, that's a, that's if you're looking for the analogy, that's the one. Did you or- did you order the code red? You're damn right, I did. And so here we go. You know, cue up Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise in the courtroom, boys. All right, Brian. Brilliant as always. Thanks so much for talking to us. Mark and Murph, good to hear you guys. Take care. Just on that idiotic tradition of hazing Murph, mm. NFL agent Eugene Lee. Now, this, this is the type of hazing I'm, I'm happy enough with. Okay. He had this to say, some teams of rookies do water slides in the field, carry equipment, buy donuts. This is normal hazing. <laughs> <laughs> buy donuts. You know, that's acceptable hazing yeah. in my book. Racial slurs demanding $15,000 off people. Yeah, not, right. so, not so much. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've worked with you for 10 years. I'm still making you cups of coffee. Yeah. I mean, I don't, ref- I don't count it as hazing. And, and Murph, like, I've seen old school. You yeah. know, I know the sort of good a frat house mentality can produce. You know, mm. I realise how sometimes an eclectic group of zany partiers thrown together can have hilarious results. Yeah, okay. But also in that film, let's not forget, let's not forget the tragic death of Blue. Okay? I know, I know. I suggest, actually, all NFL heads, they should sit down, watch Old School, and, and just change take their ways. A, just take a forward. moment, you know, take a moment and just see, you know, that sometimes their actions have consequences. Brilliant Second Captains Football available now on irishtimes.com forward slash Second Captains and on iTunes uh, recorded this morning with Owen and you were involved as well Murph it features Eamon Dunphy Yeah uh, great chat with Eamon um, as Owen said on Twitter a couple of hours ago I think uh, Eamon Dunphy is unemployed and out of football it's 1979 he takes up the story so that's basically where uh, that's basically uh, what we're talking about with Eamon a little, and of course plenty on Monkino. Yeah, there his as thoughts well. on Monkino, uh, on being a hayfinger, becoming a journalist, all that sort of stuff. Um, just before we go, don't forget about our second captain's Monkino unveiling special. We mentioned it at the start of the show. It's with Owen, Ken, and Murph on Saturday. Uh, get in touch with us here on Twitter at Second Captains and email us at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Thanks a lot, Murph. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, guys. Talk to you on Saturday. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.